Morning, Stone Creek. Good morning. It is so great to see you. Happy Labor Day weekend. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we're continuing in our series, Humans Are Awesome. Let me hear you say, Humans Are Awesome. Humans are awesome. Yes, and uh, this morning I thought it'd be amazing to kick uh, things off by celebrating an awesome human. And so this person that we want to celebrate this morning, uh, they are the cafeteria manager at North Forsyth High School, uh, and they are awesome. In fact, when it came time for us to collect backpacks for refugees in Clarkston, Georgia, this person decided to make it her mission to charge and challenge her team of cafeteria workers that they would begin to pack backpacks for the needy in Clarkston, Georgia. And so uh, with many of her uh, team not being able to buy backpacks of their own, she said, all right, this is what we can do. Can you buy pencils? Yes. Can you buy notebooks? Yes. Can you buy rulers? Yes. And she split up the responsibilities and the team game came together and they had a backpack packing party. And this human decided to go to Walmart and get 12 backpacks at half price and come on down. And they packed 12 backpacks for Clarkston, Georgia. This woman, this woman knows how to give her best to elevate the name of Jesus in her workplace. And so this morning we need to celebrate Miss Kay Tidwell as she comes up onto the stage. Come on. Miss Kay. Come on, Miss Kay. Come all the way up here. And you even got the shirt on. She's even got the shirt. Miss Kay, you are awesome. And this trophy is huge, about as tall as you. So that's, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> thank you, Miss Kay. You are awesome. Y'all thank Miss Kay. Humans are awesome. You know, uh, if you're just tuning in with this series, we wanted to take a few weeks to kind of recapture and recalibrate how we see people, that we begin to see people with the purpose that God has made them for, because we believe all people are created on purpose, for purpose, and with a purpose. And so as we step into this series, we want to re-kind of capture that and look at how we see others and how we see ourselves. You know, I've been having some conversations with people over the past few days about this series, and... Uh, and oftentimes when I say, you know, humans are awesome, we're doing this series, humans are awesome. And I get kind of like a funny look. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, but like, does everyone really believe that? Like, do people actually believe that humans are awesome? Like, Joe, that's a cool phrase and all. Like, you are a seven, you are an ENFJ. Like, you think, like, you see rainbows everywhere all the time. Like, do, do you really believe that like people see humans as awesome? Because if we can all be a little bit honest, like, do we always see people as awesome? Do we always see humans as awesome? Maybe we've had some bad experience in the past with people. If you have a pulse, like you've been hurt before, you've, you've experienced pain before caused by other people, and your experiences with other people can cause you to look at humans through maybe a different lens other than just awesome. Like, think about this. Maybe you've had some thoughts before, and we, we can fill in the blank this morning. Humans are Think about that. Like, what are some thoughts you've had this week? Maybe this week at your work, based on your work week, you would say that humans are annoying. <laughs> Maybe that person just wouldn't stop bugging you for that expense report. And you're like, stop, I'll get it to you when I get it to you. It'll happen. Or maybe you would look at this and you'd say, you know what? Humans are rude. Maybe you got cut off this morning on your way to work. 
and you would say humans are rude and maybe they would say that humans are rude because they thought that what you did was wrong too and so now you just both got this viewpoint now. If you hung out with your mother-in-law this past week, you may say this, humans are overbearing. Wow, that, that one hit hard. That, that hit your heart right there. If you, if you watched college football yesterday or you watched your husband watch college football, you may say this, humans are obsessed. You're like, they're painting their faces. They're going all out, like sat on the couch all day long, obsessed with college football. If you're a parent here in this room of teenagers, you may say this, humans are confusing. Or if you got a teenage daughter, you may say, scary sometimes. <laughs> like, dang, I didn't know that, that. I wasn't supposed to ask that question. Or maybe if you ever get on your phone and get on Instagram and are scrolling through, looking at the news feed, you may have this thought that humans are narcissistic or self-obsessed. You ever thought that before? Like, man, humans aren't awesome. They're just obsessed with themselves. All they care about is them. Or maybe if you've turned on the news like ever in your lifetime, especially this week, you would say that humans are maybe terrible when you see some of the things that have been happening in the news or maybe even destructive. Have you ever had those thoughts before? Because I think if we can be honest that we don't always see humans as awesome. Sometimes the reality and the thing that actually processes and goes through our mind is that we see humans as Awful. For the awful things that they do, for the awful things that they've done, we struggle to see especially certain humans as awesome because, you know, there's a higher probability in them doing something awful than it is that they're going to do something awesome based on what we've experienced in our lives. And that's the process that we end up thinking through. That's the lens that we end up seeing people through. Or what about this? Have you ever had this thought before? Have you ever said these words? I've just lost all hope in humanity. Have you ever thought about that before? Man, I've just given up on people. Like I've just lost all faith in humanity, all hope in humanity. Like ah, I've, I've turned on the news too many times to see that dictator in that third world country and the atrocities that they're committing. I've, I've seen way too many times way too many times that leaders end up messing up in another scandal after scandal after scandal in D.C. Humans, they're so destructive. Have you seen the rainforest? Have you seen the Great Barrier Reef? We're just, we are awful. Have you turned on the news and maybe seen another terrible, horrifying, senseless, heartbreaking shooting like we saw again yesterday in Texas? And we see things like that and we can't help but just think like humans are awful and I've lost all hope in humanity. There's no way I can see people as awesome, Joe. Like, come on, let's be real. And you know, as I was thinking about this, I had this thought like we say that as if we should hope in humanity. But I want us to kind of look at this morning and just kind of understand that I don't think we should hope in humanity because the reality is, is that people are going to let us down. Humans are going to let us down. They are going to make mistakes. They are going to mess up. And so we just need to understand that. But I think what we do need to understand is that we should never lose our hope for humanity that there is hope for people, that there is hope even for the people that seem awful. And that, yes, we shouldn't hope in humanity, but we should never lose our hope for humanity because you know what? God sees hope for humanity. 
See, we believe that every man, woman, and child is created in the image of a loving God. There is hope for humanity because they're created in his image. There's hope for humanity. You know why? Because we believe in God's ability to change a human's heart. We believe in God's ability to transform somebody's life. We believe in the hope for humanity. You know why? Because we believe in the hope of the gospel. We believe in Jesus and that he can bring hope into any situation and in any story. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about how we should have this hope in Jesus, this hope for in people, this hope for people because of who Jesus is. And so rather than seeing people as annoying or a self-obsessed, narcissistic, or crazy even. This morning, I want us to begin to think about how Jesus sees people and begin to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Because you know, when Jesus walked this earth, he walked towards people that most were walking away from. When Jesus walked this earth, he chose to engage in conversations with people that most were done talking to, given up on talking to, given up on arguing with. When Jesus walked this earth, he chose to love men and women that everyone else was trying to leave, get away from. I can't be around them. He was walking towards them. He was loving them. And this morning, we're going to look at this story of a man named Levi, who's also known as Matthew, and how Jesus chooses to step into his world and invite him to be one of his closest friends and one of his closest followers and be a part of changing the world in Jesus' name. It's pretty crazy. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, you can turn there, scroll there, maybe teleport there. I don't know, new technology out these days. And Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. Now, Luke, it's written by uh, Dr. Luke, and Luke uh, decides that he wants to give a very detailed account, eyewitness account for the life of Jesus. And so if there's anybody that can paint a picture for us of how Jesus saw people, it's Luke. And so we're looking to his words on his account of this story. And so this is what he says. He says, later, this is the beginning of the story, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now there's not a whole lot we know about Matthew, but there's two really important things that we can't miss. And the first is his name, Levi. Also Matthew, because I just said Matthew. He went by two names. Levi was also known as Matthew, but Levi was his original name. You know, uh, Matthew slash Levi also goes on to write one of uh, the accounts, one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, and he creatively titles his account, Matthew. And what's funny, though, is he is the only one of the gospel writers that refers to himself as Matthew. Everyone else refers to him as Levi. And you're like, come on, you're confusing me. Who are you, Matthew or Levi? Like, can we get this straight? Like, have you ever met people like that? That they love to go by their nickname rather than their real name? Or they love to go by their middle name rather than their first name? And you just, like, get so confused and everybody else is confused. And you're just like, those people are weird. Like, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, okay? We're getting personal, um, except for this isn't about me. This is about Joey. Y'all know Joey that stands on the stage, preaches some, got the red beard? Yeah. All right. So Joey, his real name is not Joey. In fact, it's not even Joseph. His real name is Joel Charles McLaughlin. Joel Charles McLaughlin. And that's what his parents named him. But somewhere along the line, uh, his, his parents started to call him Joey. And he liked being called Joey. And so he told everyone to call him Joey. And so now everybody calls him Joey and we all call him Joey. Except for me, I like to call him Ginger just to mix things up. <laughs> Did you get a little crazy? 
And so Levi was similar. He had multiple names. He had his name Levi and he had his name Matthew. And in this story, he's referred to as Levi. But what's really important to understand is that Levi was his Hebrew name, which means he was raised a Jew. He was part of the Jewish faith, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. He was raised with this group of people that were known as chosen by God. And so he had this faith, and then somewhere along the line, he starts to go by a different name, Matthew. And a lot of people just assume, like, hey, Jesus gave him the new name Matthew. He meets Jesus. Boom, gives him a new name, just like Saul to Paul, just like Peter gets a new name too. And, but that's not, we don't have any proof of that. In fact, many people believe that it was actually somewhere along the line when Levi chose a career path to work for the Roman government that he begins to go by a Greek name named Matthew. A Greek name that would be a little bit more acceptable for someone working for the Roman government, not a Jew. See, he worked for Rome as a tax collector. Now Rome, if you don't know much about Rome, like the world superpower Rome, like Rome was known for being brutal and barbaric. And so for a Jew to work for Rome, like that would have been seen as crazy because what did they do? Rome would go into cities that were not theirs and they would destroy the cities and they would, they would kill the men and they would rape the women and they would enslave the children. They were awful, an awful group of people. They were so awful that they would then line the streets with Roman crosses and people dying on the Roman crosses so that as people walked into the city, they would know the sheer power of Rome. And so for a Jew to now work for Rome, that would have been crazy because Rome had taken over many of their cities. And so Levi, he was actually in this, this town called Capernaum. And Capernaum was one of those towns that had been taken over. And so what Rome would do is they would take over the town and impose taxes on the locals. And then they would recruit tax collectors to work for them. And so Levi was the tax collector in Capernaum. And he wasn't like your neighborhood, like friendly financial consultant. Like that's not the case. Okay, like he was a bad dude. Like he wouldn't have been seen as like the robe wearing equivalent of an IRS agent. Like that's not how people would have looked at him. Like he would have been considered a bad dude. Like don't let your kids hang out with him. You see him coming down the street, put your head down, turn the other way and run. Like you wouldn't let your kids have a sleepover at Levi's house. No, 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 no way. That wouldn't happen. He would have been looked down on. He would have been considered this betrayer, someone that betrayed his people, betrayed his family, especially when he changed his name, betrayed even and left behind his faith to go and receive money and steal from people. See, tax collectors in this day, they would tell somebody that they owed more money than they really owed so that they could line their pockets and fill their pockets up and make more and more money. And so the richer that tax collectors were, the worse that were, they were seen to be. So he would have been considered an awful person, changing his name, a tax collector working for Rome, turned his back on his family, his community, his faith, everything. People would have looked down on him. See, tax collectors in this day would have been considered in the eyes of the Jews as the embodiment of evil, the embodiment of sin, the embodiment of an awful person. They would have been religious outsiders. In fact, in ancient Jewish uh, texts, we see, that, we see that many tax collectors were oftentimes thrown out of the synagogues. They couldn't be a part of the judicial system and judges or witnesses because their word was nothing. It was meaningless. People didn't trust them. 
They would have been considered these outsiders that no one wanted anything to do with because they thought that they turned their back on them and only wanted to bring pain and destruction to their lives. So they judged him. They saw him through this lens of an awful human being. But what's crazy is that Jesus didn't see Levi the way that everybody else saw Levi. Not the case. In fact, Jesus chose to step towards him. And it says, as we continue on in the this, in this story, he came across the man Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he chooses to speak into his life and invite him into a journey. He says, follow me and be my disciple. Now that word disciple we talk about here at Stone Creek is someone that knows Jesus. So begins to believe in him, put their faith in him, and then follows him, spends time with him, grows closer to him, and then leads others to do the same. He says, come and be this for me. Come and be my disciple. And with those words, what does he do? He speaks identity into Matthew's heart and into his soul. And where everybody else would have tried to walk away from him, turn away from him, run from his tax collector's booth, Jesus stepped towards him and invited him into a close personal relationship. It's pretty crazy. That's wild. And then, so what does Levi do? Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Left everything. Get this. Jesus changed his heart. Jesus transformed his life. So much so, if he was so greedy before, how could he leave everything? Jesus changed his, the way that he looked at people, the way that he saw life. In this moment, he leaves everything there and chooses to follow Jesus. It's wild. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. But that's what happened. See, Jesus didn't see people the way that you and I see people. And what Jesus saw what everyone else saw were completely different. Where everyone else would have seen this, this religious man that then left his religion to now steal from people. And they could have never seen that Jesus as this rabbi in the time would engage this man like it didn't make sense. But that's what Jesus did and he stepped into his story. Stepped into his situation and changed his life. And where everyone else saw him as awful, Jesus saw the potential for awesome in Levi. The potential to be awesome and the potential to do awesome things. See, this tax collector was reviled for who he was, but Jesus loved him for who he was. That's crazy, like it doesn't make sense, but that's the crazy and radical and oftentimes reckless love of God that he would step into people's lives that everyone else is walking away from and everyone else is pulled out of. And then what Jesus does, this is crazy, is Jesus saw the potential in him that nobody else could. See, Jesus saw the potential to place this man in a position of leadership, to be a part of helping to lead a movement that would change the world. See, where most of Jesus' followers were fishermen, Levi was a businessman. He brought this different, these different skills and expertise to this group. And so Levi was actually known for being a part of helping to manage the budget, being a part of helping to rally supporters and bring in donations and tithes. Levi was a part of winning people over so that they would say yes to this movement of Jesus. One of the things Levi was known for was being generous, extremely generous. So generous so that many scholars believe that when the ministry of Jesus was low on funds, you know what Levi would do? He would give almost all of his personal wealth just to see this movement continue on. And where everybody else saw this greedy sinner, Jesus saw this generous saint. 
And he saw a man that, that he believed in that could help lead and fuel a movement. It's crazy. And what's even more crazy is that Jesus loved even Levi's friends as well. He wasn't like, hey, I don't want to come after like one tax collector. Like, hey, Levi, why don't you bring your friends to come and meet me too? And so the story continues on. It says, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor, which is pretty crazy. He meets Jesus and you know what he does? He says, hey, I need everyone to know I met Jesus. Come here, come and meet this Jesus that I just met. Which is kind of crazy because sometimes it's the opposite of what we do. We, like God changes our life, but oftentimes we want to sit back and keep it, keep to ourselves and rather than stand on a stage and come and get baptized and shout from the rooftops that Jesus has changed our lives, we pull back, we sit back, we step away thinking that everyone else is going to look at us and judge us. But Levi didn't care about how people saw him because now Jesus saw him in an incredible way and Jesus saw awesome in him. And so you know what he did? He said, I want everyone to come and meet this Jesus. So he has a banquet with Jesus as the guest of honor, a party. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. It says, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. And this is what they said. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Gosh. Like calling people awful, like that's pretty bad, but calling someone scum? That's an attack. That's hate. That is hurtful. He says, why do you eat with such scum? That's how they saw these tax collectors, as sinners, as scum, evil. That's their view, these religious people, this group of religious men. And then how does Jesus answer them? This is pretty crazy. Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to call those who think that they are righteous, not those that think that they're so awesome and above everybody else, but I've come to call those who know that they're sinners and need to repent. Hallelujah, amen. See, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He was known as the friend of sinners, that when everyone else wanted to step away from a group of people, you know what Jesus did? He went towards them and he said, hey, no longer are you gonna be defined as a sinner. I'm gonna befriend you and I'm now gonna call you a saint. I'm gonna call you a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. I'm stepping into your story. I'm coming all up in your business and I'm gonna change your life. And I don't care your past. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you're going. I want to step into your story. That's how Jesus saw people that everyone else saw as scum. Jesus ran towards. And you know why Jesus did that? You know why he did that? Because Jesus, he was the hope for all of humanity. And Jesus is the hope for all of humanity. And he knew that if he could step into people's stories as the great healer, he could heal any brokenness, anything that's going on that's wrong. He could bring freedom from addiction. Jesus knew that he could bring healing for people that have just been hurt by others around them. He knew that he could come and bring hope. See, Jesus is the hope for humanity because Jesus and Jesus alone is the one that provides us access to God. When Jesus came and walked the earth that he created and died on a Roman cross so that we could have relationship with God, the forgiveness of our sins through him, through his death on the cross. And Jesus rose from the grave. Why? So that we could have life in him and experience life in him here on earth and in heaven for all of eternity. Jesus is the hope for humanity. 
He's the hope for all people, any person, people that even are messed up, jacked up, too far gone. Jesus comes and he can step into their story. Jesus proved in this moment and through many other stories just like this that he wanted to come after people that everyone else had given, off, given up hope for. That, and that, that as he stepped into their story, he proved that we could see hope for people because we could see Jesus' ability to come and change their lives and bring hope even into the darkest and deadest of situations. See, when Jesus walked the earth, he helped people begin to see the hope for humans that everyone else seemed to miss. He helped us to see the hope for humans that everybody else seemed to miss. I want to share a story with you uh, about a student of ours. And uh, about a year ago, uh, one of our recent graduates, uh, Abby Kochman, she came to our team and she led us, our student team, and began to let us know how she'd been praying for her brother, Drew, to come and meet Jesus. And she let us know about how Drew um, was, called, was considering himself an atheist, said he didn't believe in God and that he was going down some paths of destruction and, and partying and things that we all knew weren't the best for him. And so she comes to us and says, hey, can you guys start praying for my brother Drew? And we said, for sure. She's like, I've tried to share the gospel with him. I've tried to invite him to church, invite him to wake. He's just, he just keeps rejecting me. Can you, can you pray for him? And so we began to pray for Drew and and over some time, uh, we began, people began to invite him to come to Wake. His friends would invite him. A lot of the students here in this room would invite him and ask him to come. And he just kept saying no until one night he came here to our Halloween service here at Wake. Pretty crazy. Halloween at church. Wild. And, uh, and so Drew, he shows up. And, and if I can be honest, like our team was super hopeful, like really hopeful that like he was going to meet Jesus that night. Like really hopeful, like God's going to change his life. He's going to get saved. All of his friends are going to get saved. We're going to have this massive party. He's going to think church is so fun. God's so fun. And that he wants to be a part of all of this. It's going to be awesome. And Drew comes that night and he leaves early and he hated it. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. In fact, Abby and his friends would talk to him over the next couple of days and he said, I'm never going back to church again. Never going back to that place again. And where most people in this situation would have maybe just like given up on that person, like said, hey God, we did what we could. Like we invited him to church and you didn't do anything. So we're just done now. Done praying. I'm just gonna give up, write this person off. Like I did my part. You gotta do yours. Come on, God. Where most people would have just given up. Not Abby, not her friends, not this church. And so we began to start praying for him even harder. And people like Sean Curry began stalking him at school. <laughs> In fact, Drew said, he, he was like, yeah, like Sean, it seemed like a stalker because he kept just showing up at my wrestling practices and at track practice. And like, he wouldn't leave me alone. And he was always inviting me to church. I was like, praise the Lord, let's go, Sean. That's awesome. And just kept showing up time and time again, inviting, 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 trying to share Jesus with him, love on him. People like John Gibbs began to uh, meet with him and try to have conversations with him, tough conversations, conversations that most people would like run away from. Like, what about the dinosaurs? Like, what about the, the tough questions in the Bible? Like, what about this and this and this and this and this? And, and John was leaning into all that. And he said, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. I want to show you how you can believe in Jesus and who he says that he is. 
And so they begin engaging in these conversations and then our awesome students at Wake somehow convince him one day to come back to Wake again and he comes and he has a little bit of fun and some walls are kind of broken down and then he sees that we're uh, gonna be having the escape, our summer camp in Panama City Beach and is like, that sounds kind of fun. Like I can go have a fun time with some, some of my friends like down at the beach, that could be cool. And he would say as he tells his story, but through all of this, he was still holding back from his faith, holding back, didn't wanna believe that God was real. Until the escape 2019 and our team's praying and praying and praying, God, we believe, we believe Jesus that he's not too far gone. We believe that you can step into his story. And at the escape 2019, Drew gives his life to Jesus and Jesus radically transforms his life. And last Wednesday night, Last Wednesday night, Drew stood on this stage and shared part of his story and then stepped into the waters of baptism, was baptized in front of all of his friends here at Wake. Let's celebrate that one more time. And one of my favorite parts of this story is that Drew shared on this stage and he gave a challenge to our students a couple weeks ago. And he says these words, I'm gonna read it because it's so powerful. He says, Don't give up on people. This was a challenge for our students, but I want it to be a challenge for you in this room today as well. Don't give up on people. Everyone is worth fighting for. Everyone is worth saving. No one is too far gone. And because people fought for me, I am now saved by Jesus. That's wild. That is crazy. But that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we believe in. That God was not done with Drew? Not even close. Where most people would have said, oh, like maybe we'll just like keep praying a little bit and just hope that when he hits rock bottom that, that then like he'll turn around and we'll try to be there for him then. No, 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 no. God was not done. And where a lot of people would write a period at the end of that statement, I'm never coming back. God had a comma written right there and he knew it all along that he was gonna be back and that Jesus was gonna change his life and that Jesus had something new in store. And so I want you to think this morning, who are the people in your life that maybe you have written off and thought that God was done with, thought there was no hope for, thought that maybe, maybe, They might change one day, but you've started to forget to pray. You've started to stop praying. Who is it in your life that maybe you've lost hope for? Because I'm giving you permission. You don't got to have hope in them, but you got to have some hope for them that Jesus would change their life, that Jesus would step in and give them a new heart, give them new desires, that the old would be gone, that the new would come. And so who is it? Is it that friend that friend that you just cannot stop thinking about the fact that they lied to you, that they hurt you, that they broke your trust. And now you feel like that friendship is just gone and you've seen that it seems like they're just walking away from their faith because you're following them on Instagram still and you're checking in on their stories. And you're saying, man, they're just gone. They're just messed up. Like, and maybe you've lost hope for them? Is it that son or that daughter, maybe? That son or daughter that you would call wayward or wandering, that maybe you found vaping in the bathroom or drinking in the basement and won't stop breaking curfew over and over and over again with that guy or that girl that you know things are going on, 
And maybe you've tried time and time again to talk to him and you've tried time and time again to pray for him. You've tried time and time again to bring the church around him and just hope that things would happen. But then now you've kind of given up. You've lost hope for them. And it breaks your heart to maybe admit that, but maybe because you've stopped praying for them, you've lost hope for them. You've lost hope that Jesus would step into their story even now, even then. Is that that ex, ex ex-wife, husband, that maybe brought some pain and destruction to your life and to your entire family? And when some of those words were listed earlier about awful and terrible and destructive, you're just, you're like, that's them. And because every time you have a conversation with them, it's like venom is just spewing everywhere and, and, and you just think that they're just poison to your whole family. You just have maybe written them off thinking, you know what, God, you're gonna have to do something. I'm done. But you really don't believe that he will because you've lost hope for even them. Who is it? Like, is it, is it that coworker, business deal went bad they messed up, they are gone. And you've lost hope for them because you see that they're going down a path of addiction and drinking and you know that their life is spinning out of control and, and you've kind of watched from a distance, but have you lost hope for them that Jesus would step into their life? Who is it? Who are the people in your life that you've written off? Like I've written off family members before too. I was writing this message, I'm like, God, You're convicting me, you're challenging me. What have I done? Why have I stopped praying for them? Have I lost hope for them? Is it a friend from maybe years ago that you haven't talked to that that maybe this morning you need to text, you need to call, you need to let them know that you're thinking of them, praying for them and that you believe that there's hope for them too? I think right now in this moment that there's a name coming to each and every one of our hearts. There's a name, a name this morning that maybe you've written off and this morning you need to write back into your prayer journal. A name of someone that maybe you've walked away from that God's calling you to turn around and start running towards. Like who are the people in your life that you once thought were awesome, but now see as awful or the people in your life that you've always just seen as awful, but now you're hearing that God sees them as awesome and that God wants to breathe life into their hearts. And maybe some things are not going right in your heart and in your soul right now where you feel challenged and inspired. Maybe today you need to do something. You need to make that call. You need to drive across town. This Labor Day, maybe it's a time where you bring some reconciliation and seek reconciliation and forgiveness with people that you never thought that you would or could. Maybe there's that student that you know of that is so far gone and you just know everyone else has lost hope that you need to reach out to and engage in a conversation. See, because I believe I believe in the hope of Jesus and I believe that if we would begin to understand how he sees people, it began to change everything. How he saw Levi and how he sees people like Drew, people like me, people like you. And so this morning, I've got a question I want you to think about, super simple. I want you to ask yourself this question in light of those people that you're thinking about, how does Jesus see them? How does Jesus see them? Super simple. 
But notice that it's not how could Jesus see them or how would Jesus see them? Because I think a lot of times we kind of like to live in the gray with could or would or should. No, no, no. How does Jesus see them? And if we would realize how Jesus sees them, then hopefully that would inspire us to see them similarly, to see them through his sight, to see them the way that he sees them. And then you know what? Love them the way that he loves them. That's my challenge for you today is that we would see people the way that Jesus sees people and love people the way that Jesus loves people. Because you know what? We talk a lot about being a church that we want to love people. No one wants to be the person that doesn't love people. Like that's pretty basic. We all want to love people, but you know what? You can't love people that you don't see the way that Jesus sees. There are some people that maybe you have prejudice against, that maybe you have clouded judgment against based on their reputation or based on maybe the fact that they look different from you or talk different from you or understand things different from you. Maybe the fact that they're part of a different political party. They're they're a part of a different sexual orientation. Like maybe that's what's keeping you from seeing people, seeing them and loving them the way that Jesus loves them. But if we begin to see them through Jesus's eyes, that's how we'll begin to love them the way that Jesus loves them. We gotta see people the way he sees them. You know, one of the ways that we can begin to see people the way that Jesus sees them is if we would begin to think about and remind ourselves of how Jesus sees us, how Jesus sees me. In Romans 5, Romans 5, the apostle Paul, he writes this. He says, when we were utterly helpless, in other words, when we had no hope, none, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. He died for you and he died for me. He died for sinners, gave them a new identity. And now most people, this is funny in light of what we're talking about today. He says, now most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, like an okay person. Though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, maybe awesome, like maybe then you'd wanna die for somebody. But listen, God, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. That's what God has done for us, that he would send Jesus to be our hope even while we saw no hope in anybody else, even while it seemed as though there was no hope for our lives, he sent Jesus to be our hope. That while we mocked Jesus, you know what Jesus did? He's speaking life and speaking words of life into people's souls. That while we murdered Jesus on a cross, you know what he does? He provides mercy over judgment for the people that have messed up. For the times that we lift other things above Jesus and love other things more than Jesus and love other things with our hearts. You know what Jesus does? He still steps down gets low and loves us all still. He loves us still. He loves us still. If we could just remind ourselves of the grace that God has poured out in our lives, I think we'd begin to have more grace for the people around us that seem to mess up and make mistakes too. If we would remind ourselves that God's grace for us never runs out, that it keeps pouring out over and over again. It's like a sea, we're all just drowning. God's grace is just so good. And if we could just be reminded of the grace that he's poured out in our lives, remember how he sees us through those lenses, man, I think it'll change how we love people. And so this is the challenge for us today, church, that we would begin to truly see people the way that Jesus sees people and that we could really believe that humans are awesome 
that we could believe in the potential for awesome in people that everyone else has lost hope for, that we would have hope for people that have even ran away, that stepped out on their faith and their friends and their family, that we would have hope for them and believe that the best is yet to come and believe that God's not done. And even when we decide to write them off, he is still writing their story. And it's a story of grace. And it's a story of hope. So that's the challenge this morning, that we would truly believe that Jesus is the hope for humanity and see the hope for people even people that we believe are awful, that we would see the hope in Jesus for more, that we would see the hope in Jesus for grace, that we would see the hope in Jesus for purpose, potential, and awesome in life. That's the challenge for us today, church. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for how you love me. God, I'm so grateful for how you love me even when I am terrible at loving other people. God, I'm grateful for how you see me even when I struggle to see people the way that you see them. And God, I'm grateful for the grace that you've poured out in my life, in our lives here. God, remind us of that grace this morning. Remind us of the story that you have written on each of our hearts and each of our lives, how you've brought us from death to life in Jesus for how you've brought us from hopeless to hopeful in Jesus. God, remind us of that this morning. And God, may you give us eyes to see people the way that you see people, Jesus. That we would see people in light of who you are and in light of what you've done for us and in light of what you are doing for them. Give us hearts that break for the hurting. Give us hearts that break for the hurt. Give us hearts, God, that break for people to where we would love them the way that you love them. Jesus, help us to leave here and do something. To take action on what we've heard and for how you're challenging and convicting us. We're here for you, God. Spirit, move in us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.